sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintigard.com. All right, y'all, this is, this is kind of it. You've heard so much in the book of Esther. You've heard in, in chapter 6 about Haman's pride as he wanted to be honored and then he had to go and honor Mordecai. Now you will see. This is the action in Esther chapter 7. We'll read this here. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request, even up to half the kingdom? It will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Esther, Who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Esther said, An adversary and enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word had left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to a height of fifty cubits stands by Haman's house. He had set it up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. This is a sermon about pride. This is a sermon about what is properly defined as self-absorption. And we are going to learn three things about pride today. We are going to see that pride makes us slaves. It makes us emotionally slaves to the people who then can control us. We'll also see the destructive power of pride as it takes everything that is filled with joy and takes the joy out of it. But then, thanks be to God, we will see what God has done about our pride. Now, I'm sure you saw it. You, it's, it's hard to miss Haman's incredible highs and lows of emotion here, right? Hard to miss. One moment he is absolutely flying high. He is on cloud nine because Queen Esther has invited him to dine at the palace. 
It's the most exclusive invitation of the year, and he has been invited. He's flying high, and then two seconds later, he is madder than a hornet because he just saw Mordecai again. And Mordecai would not bow down to him. I mean, it's, it's emotional instability for the ages where one moment he is higher and happier than he could possibly be and the next moment he's in this own, his own personal hellscape all because he thought everyone should bow down to him and one guy, Mordecai, would not bow down to him. I mean, you can see from this example how Haman was an emotional slave because of his pride. You know, you can see he was first an emotional slave to Esther. Esther was the one with the power to give him all that joy. She invited him to the palace. She invited him to the banquet. And so she was able, he was able to, to fly high and be on cloud nine. But then he was also an emotional slave to Mordecai who by virtue of simply not bowing down to him could put him in a pit of frustration and anger. I mean, you, you can maybe see what I'm saying here that when you are an emotional slave to someone because of your pride, you have no ability to control your own emotions. They are controlled by everyone else. And maybe, maybe you've experienced this before, probably on a less extreme level. But maybe there's one or two or three people in your life that have this kind of influence on you where one word of affirmation, one positive word of praise and honor can boost you up to heaven. They can keep you flying high for days and weeks and months, but at the same time, that same person maybe with one negative remark or even just one sideways glance can have you doubting everything and spinning out into anxiety. I mean, I think maybe all of us have one or two or three people like that, right? And that's, that's pride that does that. It's pride that makes us an emotional slave. It's, it's pride that steals away that, that personal joy. Now, there is a super easy way to fix this. This is a super easy way to fix this. Um, if it's someone else that can control our joy, then we can know. The Bible teaches us this, that we are built to receive the praise of the praiseworthy. We are built to receive the praise of the praiseworthy, except we go about looking for it in all the wrong places. And we see all the wrong places as praiseworthy. But there is this easy way to fix this in us because if we want to receive the praise of the praiseworthy, then who is truly praiseworthy? It's God. It's Jesus. And, and all you have to do is look to the corner over there to know what God thinks about you. He esteems you so highly. He loves you so much. His honor for you is so great that he sent his son to die for you if if you want to know how you should feel about yourself, look and see how God feels about you, right? But let's be honest. How often are we looking to Jesus in those moments? 
And how often are we receiving how we should feel about ourselves from other people? That's what pride does. It makes us emotionally slaves to people. And pride continues to destroy. It, it continues to destroy. You can look at that in the life of Haman. He had everything. I think I can almost say he literally had everything. I mean, when Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him, he had to make himself feel better. And the way that he did that is he gathered his family and friends around him. And he did this, this litany of praise about himself. He started boasting about himself. He basically said, I've got the money of New York. And he did. He did have the money of New York. If you go back a couple chapters, you can see the amount of money that he wanted to pay for the genocide of the Jews was equal to the gross domestic product of small countries now. He had the money of New York. And he had the power of D.C. That's what he said too. And he did. He was the prime minister of Persia. He had enough power that he could write the king's edicts for him. He had the power of D.C. And then he said, I've got the glitz and the glam of L.A. And he did. He was invited to the most prestigious party of the year. He had it all. And then if you remember what he said next, it'll tell you everything you need to know about Haman. He said, all this gives me no satisfaction. That's what pride does. He had the most amazing things, the most amazing gifts, and pride stole and destroyed all of the joy that can come from that. It's such a tragedy, right? I mean, the Lord, he, he, he'll bless us with wealth, but we can't enjoy it because there's always more to have. Or he'll bless us with a wonderful relationship, but we can't enjoy it because it's not as perfect as it could be. Or he'll bless us with a, a fulfilling and productive and, effect, and effective career, but it, it's not going to be satisfactory in the end because it's not gone as far as it could. It's a tragedy. Pride destroys so many things. I was thinking about all this this week, and I started thinking about one of my favorite movies right now. It came out like five years ago. It's called The Greatest Showman. And have you heard of it before? It's this Disney movie that came out about P.T. Barnum. It's the guy who invented the circus. And uh, on a certain level, it's a movie that's all about pride. Because he, he was a guy who was chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing to always have a little bit better. And there's this scene in the middle of the movie where he's got everything. He's got all the fame. And, and he's got this singer out on stage and she has the limelight on her. She's got the talent. She's got the money. She has everything. And even though she, she has everything, she busts out into this song. She says, all the shine of a thousand spotlights. All the stars that we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Never be enough for me. That's what pride does. It makes us emotional slaves to people and then it takes the wonderful things in our life and destroys the joy from them. Now that's why I want to spend some time 
today looking at the pole that Haman constructed. You know, you maybe remember it as we were reading. Haman was so upset at Mordecai that his wife and his friends, they all said to him, you know what will make you feel better, buddy? If you build a 50-foot pole outside of your house so that you can impale your enemy on it. And he said, you're right. That will make me feel better. And so he built this pole outside. And then at the end of chapter 7, you can see this poetic justice where Haman is impaled on that same pole. You know, today I'm going to call that pride's pole. It was poetic justice. But I also want you to see that it was more than poetic justice. It was entirely appropriate justice. I mean, you see, what was he guilty of? He was guilty of letting his pride balloon to such a level that it was a good idea for him to carry out the genocide of an entire race of people. And then in the meantime, it was his passion to methodically go after anyone who threatened his pride and try to murder them and put them on a pole. So I want you to think about this question for me today. Imagine you're King Xerxes. You have just found out what has been going on in your kingdom. What are you supposed to do about that? I mean, you have this man whose pride had enabled him to to want to take out thousands and tens of thousands of people. If you're the king that cares about carrying out justice and making sure that things are right in your kingdom, how do you carry out justice on him? If he wanted to kill tens of thousands, how do you repay tens of thousands onto one life? If, if, If he dies for himself, it's not enough, right? If you're King Xerxes, what do you do? How do you handle that? I can tell you how he did handle it. He put pride up on a pole. Uh, Historically, I don't think we can say that the Persians invented putting people up on poles. I think we would give that to the Assyrians. But I think we can say that the Persians popularized putting people on poles. This is what they did with people where the punishment of just simply being killed for your crimes wasn't enough. They put you up on a pole. The Persians popularized it. The Romans perfected it. What they did is they added a crossbar to the pole. And they they made it so that you weren't impaled, so that you would die a little bit quicker. They made it so that they put nails through your hands and feet so that you'd be up on the pole longer because they knew that the true punishment was not necessarily the pain, it was the shame. And so they perfected dragging out the pain exquisitely. And they mass-marketed the shame too. They, They would put the pole outside the city so that everybody coming in and going out could know this person is shameful. And then they'd put a sign above your head to spell out exactly what it is that you did. For Xerxes, that's what he did for Haman. Now I asked you to consider, what do you do if you're the king? I'll ask you again, but widen your lens here. What if you do, what would, do you do if you are 
the king. What do you do with a globe filled with people who are just filled with pride? And their pride drives them to all kinds of horrible things. To hurt each other, to lie to each other, to scheme against each other, to steal from each other, to cheat each other, to hurt each other, to murder each other. What do you do with a world of people like that? What do you do when you are the king and you care about justice and you care about making things right? I'll tell you what the king did do. He put it all on a pole. He put it on a pole. Specifically, he put his son on a pole to bear the shame that we earned, to die for the pride that we killed him with, to suffer the shame, to suffer the pain, to suffer the death that we deserved. He put pride on a pole. He put that pride on his son, and his son died so that we could live. You see what the king did? He had to carry out justice. And he knew it wasn't enough to put us on a pole. And so because he loves us that much, he put his son on a pole. Now I pray deep down in my heart, I usually spend the morning practicing my sermon. This, this morning I spent praying. I pray that you see this today. That you see on a profound heart level how much love there is for you in the cross. That the cross wasn't just a place where justice was paid out. It's a place where love was carried out. So if you want to know where you can get your self-worth for, if you want to know how much love there is for you, look right there. I pray that you see that today. I pray that you see, too, that because Jesus went up on pride's pole for us, all you have in front of you is an eternity stretching out forever, a life lived in the love of Jesus. A life lived absolutely, perfectly affirmed by the death and the life of Jesus. I pray that you see that today. And I pray that you also see that right here, right now, the Holy Spirit is knitting together a group of people that can do something that nobody else can do. Little by little in Jesus, we can kill our pride. No one else can do that. The end of the movie of The Greatest Showman, the story is that P.T. Barnum gets so carried away. He has all this success, but it was never enough, right? 
and he thought that he was doing good things for his family, but in effect, he had abandoned his children and his marriage was hanging on by a thread. And the light bulb turns on at the last second and he starts singing. And he says, I drank champagne with kings and queens. The politicians praised my name. But those are someone else's dreams. The pitfalls of the man that I became. For years and years I chased their cheers, the crazy speed of always needing more. But when I stop and see you here, from now on my eyes will not be blinded by the lights. From now on what waited till tomorrow starts tonight. And this is why I chose this to, to kind of quote here. He, he has this anthem in his heart so that he can remember where he, his heart should be. He says, let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart. Now I'm not quoting anymore, but I want to give you two things that can echo as an anthem in your heart as day by day you kill your pride. Number one, remember this. You're not a slave to anyone. You are freed in Jesus. You don't have to be an emotional slave to anyone. You don't have to be tied to what other people think of you because you know what Jesus did for you. And so if you want affirmation of who you are, look to the cross. You don't have to be an emotional slave to anyone. Number two, go and enjoy your life. Go and enjoy every little bit of it. And, and here's how you do that. This is what I mean by that. I don't mean that there aren't going to be troubles, but this is what I mean, is that when we understand together just how undeserving we are of any gift, the more joy we can have knowing that we have been gifted so many things in Jesus. So go out. Enjoy the gifts that God has given you. Living confident and knowing who you are in Jesus. Knowing that you are a child of God. And that you can just rejoice in that. Let's pray. Father, we come to you humble today, humbled to think about how we've committed high treason against you, the King. We ask that you forgive us for every way that we have cut off relationship with you, the ways that we've hurt people. Forgive us, Lord. We praise you that you have forgiven us by sending your Son to be public enemy number one for us so that we can be radically humble and radically confident in who you've called us to be. Amen. <laughs>